0: Don't miss out on your chance to listen to four-time Super Bowl champ Charlie Weiss on the only podcast solely devoted to everyone's favorite position in football, the quarterback. Listen for free now by subscribing wherever you get podcasts or by going to CelebrityQB.com.
1: Well, that didn't take long, now did it? Melo gets traded from Nick's. We've got updates from the Premier League uh, action this morning as well as college football and the Week 3 NFL preview coming up next on Fantasy Throwdown. Welcome, welcome, welcome to a bonus edition of Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. I'm Dwayne Callender, and let's get right to it, because we've got another offseason move in the NBA, this time involving Carmelo Anthony and the Knicks regime finally parting ways after seven acrimonious years, to say the least. I, I would say there were good times with the Knicks, except, honestly... Were they really that good? I, I I I'm I'm very conflicted when it comes to Mello because I always said from the outset this this move never worked because Donnie Walsh never wanted to trade for Mello in the middle of a season. Dolan made him trade uh, for Mello, give up all of our young assets, which led to Donnie Walsh leaving in the off season because obviously the Knicks didn't have nearly enough talent around Mello to actually win games. But you know. It, it's that dichotomy of, on the one hand, Melo never had quality enough teammates around him to be successful. And on the other hand, you know, even when talent developed around him like Jeremy Lin, he went out of his way to bury guys. And for anyone who actually doesn't think Melo buried Jeremy Lin, I I don't know what else to tell you other than Amari Stoudemire already said as much that uh, Melo was the biggest dri- uh, uh, reason why Jeremy Lin got driven out of New York. Uh, right on the heels of Linsanity uh, a couple of years ago, just because of the fact that Melo couldn't handle the fact that uh, the Knicks were changing to an up-tempo offense and he couldn't play his ISO game to death like he normally does. So, you know, uh, Carmelo gets traded to the Oklahoma City Thunder for Enos Kanter, Doug McDermott, and a second-round pick from the Bulls, which... Given the state of the Bulls, it's probably going to be a high second-round pick. But yet still, it's a second-round pick. I mean, this is about the literal equivalent of a poo-dung poo platter. It's not even poo-poo platter. It's, it's a dung platter. Uh, I mean, McDermott is a pretty much a one-and-done type of a deal. Uh, I mean, he's got one more year left on his rookie deal, and he's probably going the Jimmer Fredette route at the rate he's going at uh, in terms of the NBA, just playing abroad because he can't create his own shot. I mean, nice enough jump shooter, but the game's changed enough where you actually need to expand your game more than that uh, unless you're going to shoot at a high percentage clip like Danny Green does. So I, I don't see much coming out of McDermott uh, this year. And Enos Cantor is a backup center pretty much because his defensive liabilities are numerous we already have Willie Hernan Gomez in the mix uh already with the Knicks so this is pretty much a body to replace Joakim Noah when he gets injured because he will get injured next year guaranteed so I mean that's that's about it but you know the way I look at this deal overall is that you know Oklahoma City gets a nice piece of mellow. I talked about it before I think he can actually work within the confines of Oklahoma City's uh, team makeup because they have enough players that can mask Melo's defensive defensive liabilities to the extent that his offensive game actually benefits them and takes away shots from Russell Westbrook, which I think is a good thing in order to keep him fresh. Uh, I I think that's the biggest thing Oklahoma City needs is to keep Russell Westbrook fresh and just be able to pull out games uh, that they need to, because too many games last year, nobody was shoot, shooting ball uh, for Oklahoma City, and Westbrook had just had to take over and uh, put up 40 points just to win a game. And, you know, when you're doing that against the likes of Denver and Sacramento, uh, you really shouldn't be needing it against those teams. So I, I think uh, Paul George definitely helped. Uh, Melo just uh, adds an additional score and also, a guy who can kind of run the B team offense, play his ISO game, and that way you keep Melo happy, keep him in the flow of what he likes to do as well, while uh, at least uh, getting additional offense and uh, minutes of rest for uh, Westbrook, because that's honestly what it's going to take to uh, win in the Western Conference is to keep Russell Westbrook as fresh as possible to make it that stretch run and maybe uh, push the Warriors. Because, you know, at the end of the day, I still don't think they have enough. I think they have enough to get past uh, that Houston squad. But, you know, when it comes down to uh, San Antonio or Golden State, I you know I just don't see it. But at least keeps uh, Oklahoma City in the mix. And when you think about it, Sam Presti, the, uh, the GM of the Thunder, has to be already the GM of the year. There, there's no getting around it. I mean, he's literally turned... Victor Oladipo, uh, DeMontis Sabonis, Son of uh, Arvidas, Enos Cantor, Doug McDermott, and a second round pick into Paul George and Carmelo Anthony. Even if it's a one year and done deal and they go off to LA or wherever they, they plan on going to next, it's still a win-win for Oklahoma City and the best case scenario they could have possibly have hoped for after KD bolted because like it or not you're not going to get free agents attracted to go to Oklahoma City it, it's just not happening so the fact that they were able to get uh these two in here with uh, with trades and you know they're going to be paying they're going to be paying a lot of money in luxury tax they're probably going to be paying at least uh somewhere in the range of 28 to 30 million dollars in luxury tax uh next year unless they can move some other contracts off the books but you know I, I don't really see how much payroll they can shed uh with uh, those 3 on the books uh for next year but it at least gives you a fighting shot in the Western Conference, uh, given the the caliber of the competition, which is all you can hope for. Because last year, Westbrook put on a virtuoso performance, uh, surprising myself and a number of others with the amount of passing he was able to do with a roster that bad. If you pair him with two legitimate scores, those numbers should go up, and he should be able to conserve his minutes uh, to the extent that... uh, he doesn't wear himself out before the playoffs, uh, which is what happened last year when he just slammed into the wall and couldn't recover. So uh, that's the bright side for the Thunder. For the Knicks, let's look at it this way. You know, I had to take a look at the career numbers of Carmelo with the Knicks to just gauge just what what we actually had here because – the record was actually better than I thought. He was only 60 games under five hundred because uh, the Knicks were, I believe it was 206, uh, oh no, 207 and 269 in ten <sighs> tenure with the Knicks, which is actually better than I thought given how bad the last four years have been. But, I mean, you know, for the Knicks, it was always a lose-lose situation because Phil... <sighs> The Zen Master had so badly misplayed his hand at the outset of even wanting to move Melo. I mean, the, first of all, the, 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 I still believe that on a certain level, the no-trade clause had to come from Dolan. Because no GM in his right mind, if he truly hated a player, would ever give a no-trade clause to a player he doesn't want on the team. it the, the narrative makes no sense unless it was directly at the insistence of James Dolan and Phil just took his contract extension and, you know, to hell with his actual reputation because Phil made $24 million. Uh, you know, it must be nice to sell out your reputation for uh, eight figures. I, I mean, yeah. what would any of us do at, at that stage? but uh, I mean, it's it's just sad. Because at the core of it, I actually do believe Carmelo does care very much about making the Knicks a winner. But when you are surrounded by such ineptitude, and even people who are qualified, even if there was someone qualified to point out some of Melo's failures, it just never gelled at the right time. So, I mean, Mike Woodson was more of a yes man for Carmelo. There are I mean, Derek Fisher, the less said, the better. I mean, I mean, it really is just shocking how poorly run the Knicks are. And for that reason alone, I, I have to give Melo a little bit more benefit of doubt just that he, he was trying his best. But, you know, when you're surrounded by circumstances that are that far out of control, I don't think there's much any NBA superstar can do outside of LeBron to change the culture of a franchise that is that incompetent. I mean, I only cite LeBron just because he has to deal with Dan Gilbert and the Cavs. I mean, that's about it. But, you know, there are a few situations in the NBA as toxic as the Knicks are under Dolan. And there's just no light at the end of the tunnel, <laughs> to, to be perfectly honest. It, it's just the badge of honor that Knicks fans have to carry and deal with other Knicks fans who complain on the team, complain incessantly about the team, yet go to Madison Square Garden, which drives me nuts because that is the core of the problem. If people did not go to MSG, Dolan would actually have to take serious stock of making amends on the roster. But because the Garden will always sell out, no matter what happens, it's just death taxes in the Garden selling out, it's just not going to change. So, you know, until James Dolan you know, kicks the bucket, I, I mean, there's really nothing else, because he ain't selling the team, so, th- that's, that's all there is to it, is, not to sound so dour on a Saturday night, but, it, you know, before I head out, but, you know, that is what it is, so, moving on from basketball, because I feel like I've talked more than enough NBA, just because of the Knicks, it's just draining, Uh want to kind of get into Premier League action today, and you know from the outset, I would just do this uh preface on what the Premier League is, if you uh will indulge me, just because I don't think people truly understand it unless they're following soccer exactly how it operates across the, the pond. So, in terms of Premier League, it's the top level of English football or soccer, and as some people will call it, and in terms of that, you got twenty teams now in in terms of the english uh top level now when you break down English football overall, you've got actually eight divisions of football so this goes down to like club soccer level guys working uh working uh <laughs> working a nine to five and then playing pick up uh pick up soccer wherever they can and so with each level of soccer you've got somewhere in the range of uh, 24 teams uh, in each league until you get to the Premier League which is only the top 20. So when you think when you actually start calculating just the sheer number of teams that are playing organized football you know you're running into the hundreds range and even then there're still lower leagues that are still affiliated it's just that they're not considered they're considered non-league clubs so uh that's why you've got over 500 uh football clubs in England yet you know there's uh, uh if you, if you actually started to uh break up the exact uh number of uh individual leagues like throughout like the coastal states uh, you're you're actually talking about uh Somewhere north of I believe it's hundred and thirty team hundred and thirty leagues and a couple thousand teams overall in the entire country so when you when I'm talking about Premier League I'm talking about uh, I have, uh, the absolute best of the best most expensive clubs in the world uh at least in the, on the English side then unless you're countering uh, counting some of the German clubs or some of the teams in La Liga, like Barcelona or Real Madrid, the English clubs are going to be some of the most expensive in the world, uh, outside of a couple uh, clubs that uh, also uh, play in the Champions League. So, with that in mind, you've got 20 teams in the Premier League. Every game, you can win up to three points for a win. A draw is one point. Obviously, no points for a loss. So, Once you've factored that in for a 38-game schedule, three points ends up being a a big deal, especially at home games. So, typically, if you don't win your three points at home, it's called dropping points. Just because, you know, it's hard hard to get wins on the road at times unless you have a uh, really loaded squad. And, by and large, you're trying to at least scrape together enough points. Uh, Typically... uh, You're aiming, if you're a bottom-tier club, you're aiming to get at least 38 to 40 points. Mid-tier club, you're aiming for 65 to 70. Top clubs uh, that are going to be in the top five or six in the league, you're aiming for anywhere in the range of 78 to 90 points to win the the league. Uh, 78 would be on the bottom tier to qualify for Champions League. Spots or some of the other uh, cup uh, cup competitions throughout the world. Uh, And then you're talking about the mid-80s to upper 80s to actually win the league title. Now, the reason why it's so important to actually win these games, obviously uh, beyond just getting paid, is the fact that uh, the worst teams of the league, so the bottom three, actually get relegated. So relegation literally entails that you get kicked to the bottom uh, kicked out of the league and uh, uh, knocked down to the championship level, uh, which also has their own teams competing, uh, to win uh win in the championship level and get promoted. So three teams get promoted from the champion, uh, champions uh level of England, and three teams from the Premier League get relegated to the champions, uh, uh champions league. So, or league championship, I should say, uh, just so I don't. Uh, mix up the two with the Champions League, which is a different competition altogether. Anyway, so the biggest uh, with uh, deal with that is that, you know, situations like the Knicks could never actually happen in the Premier League, by and large, because if you get relegated, you're costing yourself millions in sponsorship dollars, and you're b- having to lay off a number of your workforce just because of the bills you're ha- going to have to pay and you can't actually afford the wages of your players anymore on the roster because the the budgets for uh the league championship level are drastically smaller than the premier league. So, yeah, it, it would literally involve selling off tons of players to other clubs uh either in uh England or abroad just to make it make some of the payments that you're losing. In terms of uh, revenue that uh, that you would have gained in the Premier League. So, with that being said, uh, the Premier League is still very early in the season. But, I mean, there are already some clubs that are pretty much doomed to relegation. Cause, uh, and I'll, I'll just call it right now. It's like uh, the, uh, Crystal Palace is uh, essentially done. Uh I mean, for the most part, uh, uh, you've, you've got uh, Crystal Palace just getting absolutely drummed by Man City today. 5 nothing. I mean, it could have been worse. I mean, it's literally the worst start in <laughs> Premier League history uh, for Crystal Palace. Uh, 0-6, minus 13 goal differential, no hope. And they're playing Manchester United uh, next week, so I I mean, they're—I mean, that—that's about as adrift as you're going to get to start a league campaign. And they've—they already fired a manager two weeks ago and replaced them, and just lost uh, a uh, combined—well, actually, last week they only lost one, nothing. So at least that was an improvement. But uh, so basically, they're—they're still—they got a minus six uh, goal differential with their new manager. All right, so in other action today, we had early matchups. We had uh, Spurs going over West Ham 3-2. Uh, basically, uh, Tottenham uh, Hotspur was uh, in control of the entire match. Uh, g- uh, picked up an unnecessary red card, so that meant they were down a man. Uh, gave up two goals and possibly could have given up the, uh, the lead, uh, but managed to just scrape by to get the three points on the road. So that was a good win for them. Even though it it should it should have been just on cruise control, uh, but uh, they they managed to survive there. Uh, Watford, uh, surprisingly, uh, good uh, results so far this season. They get a two one victory on the road against Swansea. Chelsea, defending champs, dominant performance on the road for for nil over Stoke. Manchester United, they continue the run with Lukaku uh the leading scorer in the premier league uh, who uh, uh scored uh, yet another goal so that actually brings his uh, goal tally up to 6 goals in 6 games so uh not not too shabby at all uh for uh the man that they just bought from everton so uh we we got a, another big uh win for manchester united on the road everton pulled out a victory at home against Bournemouth. Uh, Burnley and Huddersfield played to a nil-nil draw. And then in the game of the day, we had Liverpool going on the road to beat uh, Leicester City uh, in in the King Power Stadium in Leicester, 3-2. Really exciting game back and forth. A lot of action going on. You know, this one... was pretty much a, a nail biter if you're at least if you're a Liverpool fan because uh, Liverpool got themselves into some bad spots because uh, uh, they could score as many goals as they want but they can't defend to save their lives and they also gave up a penalty which uh, resulted in a penalty save that could have tied up the game so Liverpool's fortunate to get three points but you know they're still considered one of the top clubs uh, uh, to compete for the title this year in spite of all their defensive issues, just because they are that talented of a squad. So upcoming games tomorrow uh, would be, uh, you got Brighton hosting Newcastle. And on Monday, the club I support, Arsenal hosting West Brom. And to say that I'm excited for Arsenal... Would be an understatement. I mean, you know, what can you say about Arsenal that hasn't been said already? The fact that we're that talented and yet still can stub our toes with the best in the world. I mean, you know, West Brom is a team that just doesn't actually try to play offensive football. They try to play compact and composed and wait for you to screw up, which is... Pretty much a guarantee uh, that's going to happen with Arsenal. So, as long as Arsenal doesn't make a mistake, they should win this game comfortably. But knowing Arsenal, they will make multiple mistakes and make this game incredibly difficult to win. So, do I think Arsenal will win? Yeah. Do I think it will be anywhere remotely enjoyable to watch? Absolutely not, because they will inevitably probably lose a man... Uh, on a free kick or, or off a header, somewhere there's going to be some defensive screw-up and West Brown will get a cheap goal or two and force Arsenal to actually have to pull the game out of their ass at home to save three points. But, so goes life as an Arsenal fan. Now, that's all I've got right now for the EPL. I'm uh, going to shift gears to talk about the NFL tomorrow because we've got a whole slate of games uh, coming up. And it's going to be interesting uh, with some of the matchups uh, uh, that we've got going on. Because uh, we've got an early kickoff tomorrow morning uh, because we got the London games happening again. So it's the Baltimore Ravens versus the Blake Bortles experiment, known as the Jacksonville Jaguars. Blake Bortles, literally one of the worst quarterbacks I've seen in about five years, just for a number of reasons. Bad decision-making, terrible throwing mechanics. You name it, he's got it. Uh, Making another trip to London. Last time around, uh, uh, the Jaguars were there. It was the loser-gets-fired bowl between... Gus Bradley and uh, of the Jags versus uh oh jeez what was the guy's name again uh he was on the Dolphins uh jeez sh- 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 who the hell was that head coach for the Dolphins back then oh god man brains fried it's like it was only two years ago oh yeah it was um uh oh yeah yeah it was Joe Philbin oh like I, I was thinking of Regis Philbin, but, like, it's Joe Philbin. So, yeah, basically, uh, both of those teams were terrible back in 2015. Uh, both coaches were on a hot seat and likely to get fired. And surely thereafter, after Jacksonville blew a huge lead, Miami took the lead, and Bortles managed to rally back and win the game for the Jaguars, even though he threw multiple interceptions, including a pick-six in that game. And, uh, you know, the... Uh, Jaguars uh, prevailed. Joe Philbin was fired before the team, uh, the Dolphins headed back uh, to the States. Uh, uh, and the rest is history because, you know, everyone else in the, in the Jaguars got fired anyway. So it, it'll be a moot point. But you got the Ravens favored. You know, Blake Bortles was terrible. Even with a compromised Joe Flacco, that Ravens offense, as long as they can stay out of their own way, They should be able to put away the Jaguars. Jaguars have have a pretty good defense, but, you know, Blake Bortles is just so erratic that you don't know what you're going to get out of the guy. So, I just would play it safe, just take the Ravens, and leave it at that. Next up, we got the Broncos at the Bills. You know, Broncos just utterly whooped the Cowboys last week. Uh, There's no... If fans are butts about it, they, the Broncos defense dominated. Uh, Trevor Simeon looked pretty good at QB. Only thing I worry about here is the classic West Coast flying out to the East Coast to play a one o'clock game factor. Otherwise, I mean, the Bills have nothing on Dallas, Dallas's offensive line. So the Broncos defense should dominate. The only thing is maybe they get off to a slow start because of the jet lag. But you know that's just one of those things that happen with these uh, early one o'clock games with West Coast teams. But I I fully expect the Broncos just to uh, take the take the ball and run with it, and uh, just uh, uh over overpower the Bills in the second half of uh, that game. Saints at the Panthers, Panthers favored just because the Saints are zero and two. New Orleans got the backs against the walls. Issue I have with the Panthers: Cam does not look he- healthy. Cam Newton hasn't looked good. N- nothing's really gelled on that offense thus far. Everything looks like it's a chore to do offensively for them. And Greg Olson's out uh, a couple, uh, at least uh, a month and a half uh, due to a fracture foot. I don't like Carolina here. Uh, you know, maybe they win the game, but. Uh, if you're telling me the lines minus six, I can't see the Panthers really covering that. As bad as the Saints' defense is, you know, their backs are against the wall. I I think they're gonna put up uh, some decent numbers. I don't see Carolina being able to cover a touchdown here. I I, I gotta I would at least take the Saints uh, as the dog and outright to win just because they need a, they need a W just to stem the tie. Because if they go zero and three, I think Sean Payton has one foot out the door to figure out what his next coaching gig is going to be because Drew Brees is not sticking around that team uh, after this season if uh, they go 0-3 because they're all but done in the playoff picture. As bad as the NFC South is, it's still uh, almost insurmountable for them to go down uh, 0-3 and still uh, lose out on a tiebreaker to uh, a division rival. Meanwhile, we got the Steelers at the Bears. Uh, Steelers still favored. You know, the Bears have numerous issues. Uh, uh, They didn't look good last week. Uh, You got injury to a shoulder injury to Jordan Howard. So, Tariq Cohen owners should be happy from a fantasy perspective. But, you know, I see Pittsburgh rolling here. Uh, You know, I I really don't see anything that the Bears have that gives Ben Roethlisberger any trouble. Uh, so I think this one's, uh, pretty much, uh, a lock, uh, for the Steelers, uh, that would not be surprising if I s- saw them as one of the most popular picks for, uh, uh, suicide pulls. Anyway, uh, Falcons at the Lions, Falcons, for the most part, have been looking, uh, pretty good last week, uh. Uh, you know, they didn't look that great against the Bears week one. They worked some out some of the Kinks out against Green Bay until the second half happened, and Green Bay got some garbage touchdowns on them late. Going to Detroit, you know, Detroit beat the Giants Monday night, but honestly, didn't really see that much out of Detroit. More or less uh just the deficiencies on the Giants offensive line and uh the Giants defense getting a bit tired of the offense turning the ball over. So I, I like Atlanta here, I, you know, the Lions will uh, put up a good fight, but I, I just see the Atlanta, you know, they're used to being in the Dome anyway, so uh, most of the advantages Detroit would have playing in the Dome are negated here. We got the Browns at the Colts. The Colts look somewhat better because you, you got Jacoby Brissett under center, and he's getting more reps, so... He's going to improve. The issue I have with the Colts is just about everything else. I mean, defense hasn't looked good. Offense still has some kinks to work out with the line to figure out who's going to run the ball. Uh, you know, Frank Gore is still in the NFL playing. I mean, he's he does what he can, but he needs holes. And the Colts offensive line just hasn't really done much in that regard. And the Colts defense doesn't really intimidate anyone, so I think the Sean Kaiser uh, should be able to get a win here. I, I, you know, there's only so many games the Browns are actually going to be favored in, and this is one of them. I, you know, I, I kind of look at this and I'd say, you know, Browns may try to tank this game <laughs> to, uh, to, uh, just to improve their draft uh, draft positioning, but you know, I, I, I would actually take the Browns here. Bucks at the Vikings. Uh, this is an, pretty much a wash here because, you know, I got to say Tampa takes this one easily because, you know, the Vikings just uh, are still without Sam Bradford. He's, uh, surprise, surprise, that injury is going to be lingering for a while and they don't have an answer. Uh, I mean, simply put, uh, Teddy Bridgewater isn't ready yet. They don't have a quality backup in place. Uh, to Bradford, so, you know, I, I just think uh, Tampa's going to be able to clamp down on uh, Dalvin Cook, and that'll be it, because there are not going to be in that many uh, big pass plays down the field from the Vikings, so uh, you're, you're basically going to get a bunch of underneath routes, so uh, that's uh, quick enough to defend. Texans at the Patriots. Patriots, all day, still cranky about losing to Kansas City. This is not going to be that close. I I would be shocked if the Texans keep this one close, especially with Deshaun Watson, as green as he is. There's really not much going for the Texans' uh, run game. He needs more support because that game against the Bengals was atrocious to look at. It, uh, Deshaun Watson did not have much help. He made plays with his legs. That's not going to happen against New England. Uh, I just don't like how this game's going to shape up at all for him. Uh, this is this is one of those games where having Tom Watson on immediate emergency standby just to you know, clean things up to make sure the kid's confidence doesn't get uh, da- uh, damaged uh, too badly would be a good idea. Dolphins against Jets. Less said about the Jets, the better. Dolphins should take this one easily. Uh, really, uh, you know... It could be a little bit close because of the division rivalry motivation for the Jets. But outside of that, the Jets have nothing to offer the Dolphins uh, other than uh, the Dolphins uh, you know, basically partying too much at a New York uh, strip club uh, tonight and uh, not showing up for the game. But uh, that's pretty much it. It's like a 1 o'clock game. They should be able to get the things taken care of. And the marquee game at 1 o'clock is the Giants going to Philly to play the Eagles. Listen, I went over this before. I'll say it again. Eric Flowers is not a starting left tackle. He's not a starting left tackle. He might be a right tackle. But the fact that the Giants are still sticking with Eric Flowers as their left tackle says all you need to know about the the mindset of the Giants management right now because the fact that we're actually seriously contemplating trotting out a similar offensive line with maybe the adjustment of rolling Pew out to right tackle and pretending like that's going to be enough protection for Eli Manning to actually effectively run the offense like it's supposed to is a pipe dream. So either McAdoo's going to have to change his play calling Or he's going to risk Eli getting killed tomorrow. But something's got to get because there's only so many shots the quarterback's going to take before he starts hearing footsteps permanently. And I think Eli's getting to that point where he may start feeling punch drunk because of the amount of hits and hurries he's getting this early into the season when he's not getting any time to actually survey the field. People say he's got to get the ball out faster. Well, here's the thing receivers got to get off the line if the defenders know that your offense can't block they're going to jam the receivers which is what's happening to the Giants you know looking at the game film it's it's not that hard to figure out how teams are going to attack the Giants the rest of the season uh, the rest of the season until the Giants start making some correction so I'll be hoping for the Giants to actually make the necessary adjustments I'm just not expecting it to happen this week based off of what I've been hearing from Giants camp now for the late games. Uh, we got the Seahawks traveling to the Titans. The Titans are favored here, and I don't blame the odds makers. I know the public will probably take Seattle as the dog. My issue with Seattle is the fact that they're not blocking for Russell Westbrook. At least Russell can move around, unlike Eli. But, you know, that still doesn't really help you from a game plan strategy uh, because they can't consistently generate offense so at this stage Seattle's just you know playground offense scramble around bootleg and try to throw it down the field you know maybe that gets a win but it's not going to get you consistent uh, wins in the uh, NFL so uh, I'll take the Titans here I still like uh, uh, the Titans offense even if DeMarco Murray can't go because of the hamstring uh, Derek Henry is more than capable of carrying the load uh, uh, at least 25-30 times Because honestly You're not going to run that much against Seattle's defense uh, In terms of yardage But you can wear them down Come fourth quarter if you keep pounding the football So I actually like uh, The Titans here I know people think it's going to be a low scoring game uh, I don't disagree With that sentiment But I still think the Titans pull it out Just because I'm not sold on Seattle being able to generate enough offense to get a win on the road. Bengals at the Packers. Cincinnati fired their offensive coordinator, uh, basically trying to jumpstart an offense that is a has been abysmal. They, they haven't scored a touchdown yet. Uh, you know, the less said the better about Andy Dalton. At, at this stage, you know, Marvin Lewis is just cashing paychecks until he gets fired at the end of the year. But, you know, in order to be an actual professional team, they have to at least put in some type of effort tomorrow. So I think you'll get a response out of the Bengals. Uh, The Packers are favored by nine. Uh, Number is still a bit high, but I would still say the Packers probably do win that game by 10 points. I just think it's going to be closer than people are expecting. I I think people are expecting uh, a two-touchdown blowout, and I I think the Bengals actually quit themselves here. I just don't think they're going to be that close to the Packers. Chiefs against the Chargers. San Diego, 0-2. They need a win. I actually like San Diego here uh, as the dog. Uh, Chiefs are favored by three. Uh, You know, San Diego has been right there. It, you know a couple of the bounces here and there to uh, make the kicking game a little bit easier for them at the end of the game. Uh, things might be a little bit different for the Chargers. I, th- I think they played well. Uh, you know people have been really high on Kansas City. Believe me, I'm high on the Chiefs as well. Cream uh, Hunt has been the fantasy MVP thus far this season. But you know at the end of the day, I you know I, I just this game is just one of those uh, trap games. I feel where. Kansas City coming in uh, with a lot of momentum, and I just think the Chargers are desperate and gritty enough to just eke out a win and just uh, uh, pull out the upset. So I'm going to take the Chargers there. Sunday night, we got the Raiders in a rare game traveling to uh, Washington. Uh, Raiders are still favored. Uh, Washington hasn't looked good at all this year in terms of the offense. Kirk Cousins is trying to figure it out. But I actually see a couple of issues uh, with the Redskins right now because Pierre Garcon's gone. You don't have Deshaun Jackson. It it definitely feels as though they're trying to figure out the best way to use their wide receivers right now, and that's one of the hiccups because Jamison Crowder was expected to do a bit more than he has uh, so far this year. Uh, he's been really quiet. Uh, Jordan Reed looks really hobbled by that toe injury. I, I'm not sure if if he's really going to be healthy this season. Uh, it, by all signs, if, he, if you're looking that shabby first two weeks, it doesn't look good for you the rest of the way through. And, you know, Terrell Pryor, eh. It's got to prove that he can be a number one wide receiver. It, it, that, that, uh, that... Story is still early, but, you know, it's not looking good right now. It it looks like what you got out of him in Cleveland might actually be the best you're going to get in that he's a high-end number two, but maybe not a number one. Uh, I mean, technically, that's what Pierre Garçon is, but at least Pierre Garçon knew the ins and outs of that offense, so there was never going to be any issues of uh, quarterback and receiver being on the same page. So, uh, I look at that and I say, you know, I like Oakland's offense still. Uh, Crabtree should still put up numbers. Mark Cooper should ball. So I actually like uh, uh, the Raiders just to take it on the road there and cover three. Monday night, you got the Cowboys licking their wounds off of the Denver game, going to Arizona. The Cardinals, you know, still trying to figure out what to do without David Johnson. I'm not sold on the Cardinals uh, this season until David Johnson gets back. And by then, it's probably too late. So, you know, Carson Palmer has not looked good. I don't know where the offense is going to come from if Carson Palmer can't get it right because Larry Fitzgerald has not been used uh, all that much. Uh, You got some production out of J.J. Nelson uh, last week, but, you know, Consistency has always been a problem with the Cardinals receivers, not named Larry Fitzgerald. So uh, that'll be an interesting one to keep an eye out for Monday night. And as far as Dallas goes, you know, they got Zeke for a couple more games at least until the uh, NFL uh, appeal gets uh, gets heard. You know, for the meantime, the Cardinals, uh, the Cowboys should be getting back to the basics with the Cardinals. Run the football between the tackles. Use that offensive line. Get the ball out to Dez on play action. Let Dak do what he's comfortable with doing. Uh you know, it's really that simple uh, of a game plan. I, I think the Cowboys uh, take it. They cover the three, and you know, it is what it is. Uh, I just don't see the Cardinals doing much uh, this season. Uh, given the injury to David Johnson and the fact that. They were already very shallow at skill positions, in my opinion. So, that's all for now. And uh, should be a good round of games uh, tomorrow coming up. So, enjoy the games, everybody. And I'll see you next time.
2: it's the most talked about position in all of sports the quarterback and now there's a show solely dedicated to the most sought-after role on the field celebrity qb featuring four-time Super Bowl champion coach Charlie Weiss.